Welcome to GovTech Talks. I'm Jen Bensey. And I'm Tiffany Wright. GovTech Talks tells the positive stories of technology being used in the public sector to better their communities. And today we're talking with Michael Gregg, the Chief Information and Security Officer of the state of North Dakota. Michael has contributed to more than 20 books and has served as an expert witness at the state level and even testified before the U.S. Congress. Michael, we're thrilled to have you joining us today on CubTech Talks, and um, we're excited to talk to you about the new uh, legislation within House Bill 1398, which was passed recently. Uh, taking effect in 2025, but uh, it sounds like that's going to increase cybersecurity awareness across the state, which of course is exciting uh, for all of us and our listeners to hear. And I understand this is going to make uh, high school students take classes uh, and provide training and certification for teachers and other adults across the state uh, around cybersecurity awareness and um, all the adult education uh, facilities that you all have there in the state. So uh, it looks like the the books that you cover really focus on educating professionals in cybersecurity. So is this a passion for you? Is this something that's kind of rolled into uh, what's going on there in the state? Maybe you could tell us a little bit about uh, your involvement. Oh, that's it. That's a good question. I've probably been writing books now for about the last 25 years. So kind of got started on that as a passion and it just ended up in my job where I'm at now. I've had really the opportunity to kind of help grow that education and awareness. And, and I would say the other piece of it is just being in state government and starting to look at things, for example, like our workforce and seeing that within the next 10 years, we'll potentially lose up to 20% of our workforce because they'll be eligible for retirement. So we've got to bring new people in. So one, we've got to bring new people in. And the other is just that everybody needs cyber training. I mean, if I was to ask you, can you name a job that people don't need to know cyber in? I think you'd probably struggle to find one. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Yeah, we're always taking, um, you know, cyber courses, even just as account executives at our company to make sure that we are ensuring the security through our emails. We're not clicking on links. You know, we're constantly learning about it um, from that angle. So, so that makes sense. It's definitely not something that as a kid you think, oh, that's a career I could go into. So I'm sure that's kind of opening the horizons too for little kids on through uh, that that's something, you know, you can be a fireman, you can have all these great public servant jobs, but you could also be in cybersecurity and help your state. Very much so. Yes. I think mine was fireman or astronaut. <laughs> I want to be a teacher. <laughs> this is probably the closest I can be to. I wanted to be a broadcast journalist. So like this is sort of living See? out my dream. Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. I, I'm helping to teach people and Jen's uh, getting to, to be a journalist. So <laughs> we're all living out our dreams, right? <laughs> That's right. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about your background, Michael, and how you got to your role as CISO of North Dakota? Yeah, for me, it's been an interesting journey because prior to being here with the state, I was actually overseas. So I did about three years overseas, first in Singapore and then in the Philippines as an expat CISO. And uh, then about the time COVID hit was when I actually came back. And I thought to myself that I wanted to do something I'd always kind of had a passion for was really getting into government and being able to make a difference. And I had this crazy idea that I wanted to try to go into government. I wanted to make government more efficient. 
And I know for some that may sound very crazy, but that's overall been my goal with North Dakota is to take our cyber operations. And when I started with our cyber operations, we had about 25,000 endpoints that we covered. And because of unification throughout the state, my mission was to grow that to 250,000 endpoints. But my staff and the resources I had were fixed because you have a fixed amount of resources every legislative cycle, which for us is two years. So I had a fixed amount of resources. So my challenge really was how to grow from 25,000 endpoints to 250,000 endpoints and do it with the same amount of staff and resources. So for me, a lot of that was to lean very heavily on automation, machine learning, and then just continually upskill our employees and our team to give them better skills to look at solving these problems in new ways. Interesting. And so um, does that lead into the uh, cybersecurity piece and education and just, you know, how do we scale that? Yeah, that's that's been an interesting journey because we've been very lucky in the state of North Dakota, starting with Governor Berg, um, coming all the way down to our leadership, that we've really had people in charge that truly support education and the growth in these skills. And if you were to look and you would look at our workforce, we can't produce enough people, at least in the state of North Dakota, to fill all the cyber roles we need. So that's what got a lot of this started as far as building a complete program, starting with K-12, aligning that back to the colleges, working with private industry to try to see what we could do as far as getting certifications and others aligned to that, and then even building that into an internship and apprentice program. Nice. Very nice. And, and have you all, um, have you all had a lot of success early on? Like I know that you, now you have formal legislation to encourage it, but have you all had programs, I'm assuming before that, that were kind of feeder programs for your internships? We've had some, we actually, we started with, uh, their interns and out of our interns, what we found is we've had about an 80 to 85% placement rate. So if we can bring people in as an intern, we can bring them in and we can show them the work we do and give them an idea of the types of skills and knowledge and other things they need that many decide they want to stay. And I think one of the keys for us that's been able to help make up, make that successful is that if you go in private industry and you were to do VPN or MFA, micro segmentation, zero trust, you're gonna do one area. And that one area and that very small niche is really what you're gonna work on. But for us in government, I can give people a much broader variety of tasks. So I can start them in areas maybe like threat intelligence. And after six months or a year, I can move them over to things as far as security infrastructure, or I can move them and introduce them to government's, government, governance risk and compliance. So I can give individuals a much broader depth of understanding of security to help them understand where they want to grow their grow their career and what they want to do. The other thing we did early on was we aligned with HR. So we did away with, for some of the entry-level jobs, things like a four-year degree. Because what drives me crazy, and I'm sure both of you have seen it, you see an entry-level job and it says four-year degree, CSSP, six to, six <laughs> to eight years experience. And you know, it's, it's this long, it's huge. And you look at it and you go, how would anyone ever just in school, coming out of school, actually be able to do all this? 
So in some cases, they can start with the certification. In others, they can start with a two-year degree. And in others, maybe they do need a four-year degree. But it's that ability of being able to get them in the door. And then once we get them in the door, we have a career path for each one of our various areas. So we can say, if you're here and you want to grow to this over time, you want to be a pen tester, here's the path and here's what we'll take you through. That's that's really great. And another point to to why these interns are going to have a great experience is um, the CISO from West Virginia mentioned at one of the conferences I saw her speak at was, you know, we have we have a lot of attacks or people trying to attack. There's a lot of actual activity going on that you might not see in the private sector. You might not get that experience of working actual um, risk events. Um, whereas in the government, you do get that opportunity because there's just, you know, the government is constantly being um, targeted. Yeah, we have we have no shortage. So for the state of North Dakota, we get alerts on about 4.5 billion threats per year. Wow. Out of that 4.5 billion threats through our, through our system we have now, we action on about 50,000. So less than 1% we actually manually action on. And out of that 1% we action on, about half that is phishing. So about half that load we work is actually phishing or threats coming in by email. And so that's why when I first started looking at like automation machine learning, I said, we've got to do something with phishing because that leads to burnout <clears throat> for the SOC analyst. SOC analysts maybe don't stay around that long anyway. So if it can automate those types of activities, what I was able to do is move those individuals and then start training them on things like, static malware analysis, dynamic malware analysis, forensics, battlefield forensics. And we've really worked hard to build out those skill sets in our team. That's so exciting. Now, from an adult retooling standpoint, I mean, are you all focused on, you know, maybe the uh, 40-year-old parent who's taken time out of the the labor force and is looking to get back into, I, sometimes I think that's an untapped market. Everybody's always thinking about those bright, shiny high school kids, but there are a lot of people out there who, uh, you know, maybe didn't have the means to go to college. And I, I like what you're saying about, you know, these are people with skills and they're bright people. Uh, and certainly manufacturing is a segment that's, you know, gone by the wayside in the U.S. And so some retooling some of these adults, um, how is that going to take shape within this? Uh, or, or maybe you haven't you know, planned all that out, but yeah. um, could you discuss some of the plans you all have? Sure. A actually, we've got a good start on that because I would at least say for state government, we generally we can get people in at the beginning of their career because a lot of it has to do with pay. We can get them in early, but mid-career, it's hard to get people in because they're already established. They can make more in private industry. But the other sector, as you mentioned, are job changers, are people that want to change jobs or change careers. So we've done two things. One, I think, is interesting that I don't know that any other state has done. With our skills for all, we got Cisco to agree that Cisco will give free skills training to anyone in North Dakota. So if you want to get your CCNA exam, you can get your CCNA exam for free. I mean, I've got a ton of certifications and I had to pay for all those. And sometimes, <laughs> I know you ladies may not believe this, but I didn't always pass all of them the first time. So I had to what? what shock. Some of these I had to retest for. And every time I retested, I had to pay for these and I had to pay for that again. 
So we've gotten Cisco to agree to give this training to anybody in North Dakota that wants it. And then just earlier this week, we got Palo Alto to agree to do the same. Oh, wow. So now we've got Palo Alto and Cisco that have agreed to give free training to any individual in North Dakota, the certification training with no cost involved. So um, I know that North Dakota was the first state in the nation to expand the, the Cisco Networking Academy skills for all programs to all your residents. So that's that's yes. really cool. Have they continued to expand to other states yet? Or is North Dakota still really at the forefront of these um, these free trainings from these private sector partners? I, I, I don't know if they have for the others yet. I haven't seen anything that, that they have on this. But I think that's really a great approach because... When I look at this and I see it, I think of it in the same way if you look back in the late 80s or early 90s, Apple put all these free iMacs out in the schools or at low cost. They gave this technology away. And the reason why they did that was within five to 10 years, all those grade schoolers and middle schoolers, they moved to college. And when they did, they wanted iPads, <clears throat> iPhones. They wanted all that technology from that brand. So I think for these companies, this is a win-win because you're not only putting that technology in front of these individuals early on in that career, be it their young or their career changer, but you're skilling them, skilling them up on these technologies. And when they get in the workforce, they already know it. So if you're in a shop or in a business and you say, I need a SOAR, I need an EDR. Well, I've already worked with XYZ. I know that product. I'm certified in it. Well, at least bring it in. Let's look at it. Let's see if it would fit that need. So I think it's a good move on these companies to do this. I believe it is a win-win over time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the we hear over and over again how important it is for the public sector to have those private sector partnerships because it truly is a partnership, right? Like the public sector yes. has limited resources and you need that private sector to come in and help fill some of those gaps. Um, so since the bill just passed earlier this year, what have you and your team been doing to prepare for the 2025 school year? Will your team have much um, to do with the actual execution of these requirements? Can you talk a little bit more about your involvement there? Sure. Most of this will fall under the Edutech team. So the Edutech team will be the one responsible for doing that. And it's really two phases. One it's providing those cyber skills at each grade through K-12. But the other piece of it out of that is, is then training those teachers. So for example, just this week in Bismarck, we've got an Ignite conference and all the teachers are there. And the big topic is how do we help them build the skills they need to be able to deliver these lesson plans and be able to carry this out. The next piece for us that we've kind of got ongoing with this that I think is really great is our cyber madness campaign. <clears throat> so what we actually do in junior high and high school now, and we've had this running, this will be the third year, is to help validate those skills that those kids are gonna get from this cyber education, is bring them into a cyber championship. And so far what we've done is we've done this once a year for junior high, once a year for high school, to bring these kids into a big cyber championship where they can have these cyber tabletop war games together. And what we found is this, through the years we've done it, each year we've done it, every kid that could come back has come back, 100%. If they could qualify or they were still in high school or still in junior high, they came back. The participation rate we started with, with female and minority was under 18%. 
We hit almost 35% this last year. Our goal this year will be 50% that we'll get in. Best part of all is the ones that win then have donation money that's been given by businesses and others that go toward their college education. So they get real financial dollars that are put into an account that they can use toward their college education. And the best part for me was this last year when one set of parents came up and they actually said afterwards, they said, this made the difference in our daughter being able to go to school. Without this money, we do not believe she could have started college this year. And hearing those types of stories and hearing that, it, it you know, really gets you. I love those stories. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually, we were going to ask about some of the outcomes that you've seen from this program. You know, sounds like some of the students are going to college when they wouldn't have been able to otherwise. Are there other outcomes that you've seen from the Cyber Madness program? Yeah, my, my other favorite story is from the, from the championship we had last year. When we had it last year, we had a group of, because they're in groups of five, and it was an all-girl team. And I'd gone up to the, to the team and I asked them about, I said, you know, so you're gonna do cyber, what are you gonna do? And they said, well, we're going into biomedical. And I said, you're going into biomedical, but you're here for this? And they said, well, cyber touches everything. We have to know how to program. We have to know how to secure our work. There's hackers or others that may want access to this data. We have to understand this. And I just thought it was great that they realized that even though their job may not technically be a cybersecurity specialist, that they understood they have to have those cyber skills because let's be honest, you're not just competing against people in North Dakota. You're not just competing against people in, the Amer in America. You're competing against the world today. So we've got to have cutting edge skills for our people to be able to do that and be successful at it. That's such a cool story. I, I love that you all are also tapping into, you know, diverse roles too. Um, and you know that I have three kiddos and the science fairs, the speech contest, those kind of extra things that are outside of the classroom. You know, they take a lot of effort from people outside of the school, but I think that's really engages a student at a different level and, you know, sparks that creativity and engagement that's really needed to, to get somebody excited about it. So that's really cool. Um, now, are you looking at um, expanding that program? Is it in every school right now? We don't have it in every school. And literally when we've looked at where we've held it for the last few years, we've run into the problem of having a capacity of getting any more, any anybody else in as far as even having the room to do this. So one of the thoughts we've had is, is that we'd potentially maybe go to a virtual play earlier on in the year. And the virtual play earlier on in the year would act just like championships through basketball or football or baseball or soccer, another game. And then we would work them through and the final championship teams would then go for the in-person event. But for me, my real passion in this is to see the time where we can get this in the next couple of years to where we go state to state. I would love to see where we get to a point where I can say, hey, Arizona, hey, Texas, hey, California, hey, New Jersey, New York, let's have a state-to-state -state battle. Let's bring in the best of cyber from your high school kids. Let's bring in the best from our state and let's see who wins. I love that. I love it, a March madness. You got it, that's it. <laughs> 
coming to you from the state of Kentucky, we like March Madness around yes, here. So. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And the next step after that, Blue Sky would be to go international mm-hmm. because the database of questions and everything you have for this are in English already. So anywhere where it's English language, you could clearly grow this and then take it from a national championship to an international championship and have two or more countries battle this out. Wow. And then think about the funding that you could have to offer scholarships. Yes. And even the pipeline that these states can grow by having kids participating in this and then coming back after college, creating mentorships. There's so many different ways. Um, Is the Cyber Madness program right now at a place where you, you know, you have it pretty well um, planned out and sussed out where you could share it with other states to kind of take it and go? Or is that what you're envisioning for the future where you just kind of have like a, a packet that you give to them, you know, hypothetical packet and it says, here you go, run with it. Yeah, that's what we're hoping to really get to within within the next couple of years because we've grown it to this level. And, and the first idea on this was to see if it actually worked. Second piece was to see if the kids actually liked it. And it's just amazing, as I said, to see that they want to come back and they want to do it again. Third piece is now to really clean this up and package it up in a way that we can grow it outside the borders of North Dakota and we could there share this with other states. And if they want to emulate what we've done or they want to change it in some way, we could change it up and then we can have that state to state championship. And I've heard you mention a lot of public private partnerships that sound like have kind of help this get going from scholarship dollars all the way up to free testing and certification. So, um, you know, how did that come about? I I think sometimes that's a non-traditional approach for public sector to think, how can we tap into those private sector champions to help us make something possible? We, we love doing it. Jen and I always always like kind of working with people, but how did you get into that? And are there other companies that have helped that maybe should be mentioned? Yeah, I, I think the biggest area on that is, and, and at least always for me throughout my career, I've always tried to think of the people you work with in really two different categories as far as vendors or partners. And I always try to look for partners. And, and what I mean by that is you're looking for a win-win relationship. Obviously, I need to buy products and services, but at the same time, I'd like to be able to see those products and services customized to my needs especially when they meet the needs of others that are in similar situations and be able to help them with their needs. So if we can find those types of relationships, I think this is one of the areas where you can kind of help expand that is by going back to those individuals and saying, work with us on this, help us grow this. It not only helps us, but it helps others and it helps your businesses trying to do the same thing. So a lot of that's just reaching out to people and talking to them. The same way, you know, we talked about Cisco. Cisco did such great work for us. But I'll be honest with you, I went to Palo Alto and I said, Cisco's doing this. How come you're not doing it? And I've got others that you can probably guess their names. They're going to be on my list next. I'm going to have a call with some of them in the next week or two. And I'm going to ask them to donate certifications and say, hey, for all these winning kids, let's see if we can get them this certification package that's based on what they want to do. So if they want to want to go into X, Y, or Z field, based on what their interests are, we can send them or get them started on a series of certifications in that area. Now, certification, does that, does that match what you're going to get in school? No. But if I'm in high school and I can get a CompTIA certification, 
and I can get a Cisco certification and I can get a Powell certification, then for one, I've got a little bit more knowledge going into college. And two, I've got a better opportunity for a part-time job. If I don't want to work fast food or I want to work in some other, other area, mm-hmm. I can work in that area that I actually want to do as my career. Right. And they're better positioned for it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, shameless plug, but QuickBase does have a certification program for our no-code platform. Um, and I would love to talk to you about getting you some free certifications for the state of North Let's Dakota. Do it. So, yes. Let's do it. Seriously, we would love to, to help you with and you're that. Both, and you're both coming up in February for the event, right? For okay. Cyber Madness. You're that both sounds be great. There. We would love yeah. to all be right. there. All right. Bring a warm coat. You will need a warm coat. That's all I'll tell you. <laughs> I live in That's Cleveland, Ohio. So, I mean, I know that yeah. it's cold. It's not as cold as North Dakota, but I still live like, you know, windy, right on the Great Lakes, tons of snow. So, yeah. Um, well, can you talk a little bit about the outcomes that you've seen for the state so far with these programs? Have you, you know, you have that, you mentioned the 80 to 85%, um, you know, rate for interns to actually transition into roles, convert them into actual roles. Um, Can you talk to me about some other outcomes that you've seen from these programs for the state specifically? Sure. I think one of the biggest other one has been our apprentice program. And with our apprentice program, the North Dakota IT security IT team, my team was the first that actually started this. And the idea was as follows. If somebody's working on a two-year degree or four-year degree, they come in and they start working for us for 30 hours a week after they've started on that degree plan. And then after they finish their degree, they agree to stay two years if it's a four-year degree, one year if it's a two-year degree, and they stay that additional year, two years, and we help them with a large amount of that educational cost they have. And we started with one. For the one, we initially had over 60 applicants for one position, 60. Now, some of those obviously didn't qualify. There's a lot we have to do there, but we've got that down. We got one hired. We went through the biennium process with the House and the Senate this year. That's just finished up. We're able to get approval for six more. So we will now have six more throughout NDIT that will be brought on. And the great thing about it is, is these kids or adults or other learners are brought in and they do their time with the state, they get that degree. And in some cases, maybe they couldn't have afforded to go to college otherwise. Once they finish, then that will open up those same six for others that want to come in. So it'll be a continual pathway to get more and more people educated and get them in for a job and get them employed, which otherwise maybe they couldn't have done. And you just don't get the experience in cybersecurity as you're going to get in the public sector. Right. Yeah. And that's always the thing a lot of people tell me is they say, how do you get started in cyber? And and it's like anything else, anywhere you can get in, if it's volunteer, if it's doing apprenticeship, if it's doing an internship, do it. And the other one I always always tell people, and, and both of you mentioned this earlier, is be a mentor or mentee. If you're not mentoring someone, find someone to mentor. And anybody in their career can be mentored. There's always more you can learn. And I always tell students this, build that network, start building that network, build that network of people where you can grow that because that's how you're going to get into the industry. That's how you're going to learn more and be able to move up over time. Well, and really the skills that the kids are going to get, you know, over time 
even if they choose to not go into this field, um, they're going to approach their devices. They're going to approach, you know, going into other companies that they might work for um, from a different perspective and and more educated from that safety. So I think that, um, you know, as I was reflecting uh, to talk to you today, I was just thinking about how that really impacts businesses uh, across North Dakota, uh, them and their own, you know, securing their identity uh, when they're online. And gosh, you know, I think we all have experience with our parents and uh, senior citizens who didn't grow up in this era and, you know, trusting news and, and all those things. So uh, it's it's a great service for North Dakota above and beyond the, the students who actually, you know, um, come out and get a job in the field. It's It's just great awareness overall. Have any other states come to you for guidance on this, on how to implement something simpler, similar, or um, if they're listening, do you mind if other states reach out to you about this program? No, I'm always open to talk to anyone because one of the one of the great things to me is is getting over the learning curve as easily as possible. So there are other states that I think are doing some great things. I know Colorado's doing some great stuff. Texas with DIR, they're doing some great stuff. Arizona's doing some great stuff. Not always the same way we're doing it, but, you know, that's okay. There's different ways to do this. And I'm always open to talk to, to whoever. You know, one of the other big things is for the state of North Dakota that I really spearheaded was something called the JCSOC. And the JCSOC, what we started was this idea to get other states to talk directly to the other states. So we've got about 20% of the states now that share real-time threat info, and we meet weekly and we talk about the threats that are going on. Because if I'm facing a threat or an issue, the other states are probably going to face it too. Or if they're getting hit by it, I'm going to get hit by it next. So I think that open dialogue and that communication over education, threats, security, whatever it is, is the best way that we can figure out what works. We don't make the same mistakes and we can grow our capabilities and grow these future learners. That that's great. And, you know, I think as citizens, we assume there's something like that, but somebody has to come up with it. Right. <laughs> this is this is a new frontier. So, yeah, we actually had to get state law changed because state law said that we can only go into partnerships or agreements with neighboring states. So literally when I first got there, that was one of the first things I did was work to get that state law changed where we could talk to these other states throughout the country and understand what they were doing and what worked for them and what didn't work for them, where we could share this information. Yeah, cyber cyber threats are uh, geographic agnostic. You know, <laughs> they, they don't care where you are. It could be Alabama today and you tomorrow. So that makes total sense. Well, uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great to have you on, and I'm sure our listeners are going to really benefit from um, hearing the story, and uh, hopefully some will reach out to you to mirror this program in their state as well. Thank you, and thank you for having me. And I look forward to seeing both of you up in February for this event. When you see those kids and you see the excitement that those kids have, and how much they engage in this. And one of the things I've always noted that I think is just phenomenal is because when we start them, they're lined up five on a table and very quickly you'll see they'll move all the way around the table because they realize for these challenges and the work, they can't do it one-on-one, -on -one. they've got to collaborate. 
So they build these skills to collaborate and work with each other, divide the task, and those are real world skills they need. So I look forward to seeing you both up there and I thank you both for your time here today. Yeah, we'll have to bring yeah, a coat. Thank you. <laughs> yes, we will bring our coats. You got it. You got it. <laughs>